Please turn to the book of Luke. This morning, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's talk about taking a moment to consider. Let's take a moment to consider. Lord, as we get a chance to look very specifically at some things Jesus said to his followers, may we have perceptive uh, hearts today. May we have the kind of heart that is teachable and the kind of heart that would reflect on what Jesus said to the people so many years ago and what Jesus would say to us today in our following of him. And Lord, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts as it was used so many years ago uh, while Jesus was still on the earth. And Lord, we look forward to what you'll do in hearts today as your word goes forward. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever said yes to something before you knew what you were getting yourself into? Now, some people think about that and they smile really big. Because they think, oh, I've got into something before. I knew what I was getting into, and it was just terrible. I mean, wow, I, didn't re- I bit off more than I can chew. You know, some of us think almost never. Like, we would never jump into anything unless we knew everything. You might be that kind of person. I lean towards that kind of thing. And, of course, the problem with that kind of person is he doesn't get into anything ever. Because he doesn't know everything about it. So, so you struggle to do all the things you ought to do because you want to know everything about it. But even of those people, even of those people, we can find our things having determined, oh, that, that's good. We can find ourselves doing things and perhaps going through the motion. Perhaps it's kind of in the water, going down the stream, and you're just going with the flow. And every once in a while, it's a good thing to say, well, where are we going anyway? Why are we doing this? That kind of thought is something that Jesus had to deal with 2,000 years ago. You see, when he was on the earth and he, he went public with his ministry, there were many people who followed him. As we read this morning in Luke chapter 4, people saw what he could do and they were amazed by it. And they wanted to be a part of it. He was very popular then. So he was traveling throughout Israel. And as we see in the scriptures, a whole mess of people are traveling after him, seeing what he's going to do next. But the question is, did they understand what they were doing when they were following Jesus? And what Jesus knew is that they they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't realize how much of a commitment it was to follow Jesus. And that's something that anyone who professes to be a follower of Jesus might run into. He might be confused about the cost of following Jesus. So Jesus, in his concern for those who are following him, he turns to them. Look at chapter 14, verse 25 of Luke. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and started talking. You see, as the people followed him, he stopped them all, and he asked them, Do you know what you're doing? So as I, I, as I went through my sermon file, I kind of thought, You know, 
this is something good for a church. Every once in a while, it's good to pause and say, do you all know what we're doing here? Do you know why we're doing this? Let's take a pause for a moment. Let's check some things out. Because essentially, that's what Jesus did. As so many were following him, he turns around and he looks at them. And he has to say something to them. Because being a disciple will cost you everything. That's what Jesus knew. That's what he wanted to communicate to his followers. Being a disciple of Jesus would cost everything. So two points this morning we'll see in this text. First, you have to leave everything behind to be Jesus' disciple. That's what he would teach those who are following him. This is actually the first commandment in disguise, to love God completely. If you love God completely, nothing can stand in the way of you loving Jesus. And if something is in the way, if you won't let that get if you won't get that out of the way, then you can't be his disciple. If you look at verse 26, 27, and 33, they all end the same way. If this is the case, then he cannot be my disciple. There is a cost to discipleship, to following Jesus. And Luke is going to show us three things that you have to give up if you're going to follow Jesus to count the cost. The first thing is that your family can no longer be your priority. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Now that just sounds harsh. People here, you have to hate family? Does it really mean you have to despise your family? Well, no. Can't mean that. It means that you must love God more than you love your family. That's the meaning of the passage. Jesus does use the word hate, but when he does, he's not trying to say that you need to be emotionally hostile and despising your family. I mean, how can Jesus tell us to, to love our neighbor, but here tell us to hate our family? doesn't seem to be right. Well, the word hate here refers to loving something less. It means not choosing it, choosing something else instead. And there's a really good Old Testament example of this. You remember Jacob. He very unwisely and sinfully chose to have two wives. Of course, if you have two wives, you're going to favor one and over the other wife. Remember what happened and what was said of Jacob. It says in Genesis 29, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And serve Laban for another seven years. You remember that whole debacle that happened. He loved Rachel more. And when God saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son. So Jacob didn't hate Leah. I mean, they had children together. He simply favored Rachel over Leah. There's the point. It's more one than the other. That's what Jesus meant. So when Romans chapter 9 verse 13 says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. It's not that God has this animosity towards Esau, but it's that he chose Jacob before Esau. And in the same way, Jesus is saying a disciple must love Jesus more than his family. There's this point. And we know that in particular because of the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 10.37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So since the first commandment is love God completely, you can't imagine being his disciple if you're going to love something more than him. Jesus says it just doesn't work. You can't love someone else more than me. So following Jesus is going to affect your relationships. You have to prioritize him. You say, that is a hard thing to hear. It is. But I want you to realize that Jesus is saying he is more than your spouse, more than your children. And I would just say, perhaps in our day and age, children might be one of the greatest gods of our world. You you know, you, you listen to a State of the Union, and they start talking about the future of our kids, and it's like they'll sacrifice anything for their children, Bad decisions will be made in the name of, well, it's for the kids. People will go in debt at Christmas for the kids. It is possible for things that are very good in life to be valued too much. And so what Jesus says here is, I have to mean more than in even these closest closest human relationships that, that God has made. God has to get the preference. And when, you, when this works itself into the, the real world, it can, it can look very different depending on where you live. If you lived in the Middle East, where it's predominantly Muslim and such, if you choose Christianity, your family will disown you and despise you and perhaps put you on a hit list because that is how it works in that kind of culture. You do not leave the Muslim faith. You do not convert to Christianity. You will be forever outside the family. Now that kind of thing perhaps might happen in our culture if you come from a Roman Catholic background where your family is devotedly to the Roman Catholic Church and everything centers around that. And you're supposed to go to Christmas and Easter services and all those things. And and if you turn to the Christian faith and follow Christ and, and go to Christ for your only hope of forgiveness, your family might say goodbye to you. It might give you grief. And, and, and for whatever your background might be, especially if it's from a non-Christian background, people often make fun and belittle, belittle those who've, who've come to Jesus, who follow Jesus now. You see, following Jesus might put some strain on your family relationships. And Jesus knew that. And he was trying to make it clear that he is more valuable than he is even the closest of family relationships. So he turns and asks the whole group, are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to be committed to me? More, com- more committed to me than you are to your family. Will you withstand ridicule from your family to follow me? I bring up this book, not as often as I should, but this is the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And if you know the story of Pilgrim, of Christian, you remember that he lived in the city of destruction, and he learned of the way of righteousness. And what that meant for him is that he would have to leave his family. The book says, In his plight he entered his house and spoke, O dear wife and children, I am distressed at this burden on my back. Moreover, I am certain that our city will be burned with fire from heaven. We shall all perish unless I find a way for us to escape. 
And he talks to evangelists who tells him to go, to leave. And it says he began to run. And seeing him, his wife and his children cried after him to return. And the man put his fingers in his ears and he ran crying, life, life, eternal life. That's what Jesus is trying to say. When you follow him, family might call you away from him. And you've got to be determined to follow Jesus. Count the cost. Those who are following Jesus need to realize what Jesus is actually asking for. He's asking for your complete loyalty and devotion, which should far surpass any kind of devotion you have to your parents, siblings, children, or your spouse. So just a simple question. Is Jesus that important to you? He must be. He must be if you will be a follower of him. Secondly, then, your family can no longer be your priority, verse 26, and then 26 to 27, your personal pursuits can no longer be your priority. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, this is harsh language, it seems, that Jesus is using. Does he really mean you have to despise yourself to follow him? Of course not. But it means you must love him more than you love your life. It's not that you abhor yourself. It's that you have to rework the way you view yourself. You have to rethink the way you think about what you desire, what you want to live for. Essentially, what you want in life can no longer matter as it once did. What God wants for you has to matter now more. You know, we have our bucket lists, we have our dreams, we have our goal posters, we have lists of things that we want to do. I don't know what yours are. I don't know if, how you're doing and accomplishing them. But when you become a believer, when you would follow Jesus, you have to be willing to let it all go. Because there are things that are more important than your dreams, your aspirations, Now, all that to say, I'm not trying to say that if you become a Christian, you're not allowed to do anything fun or to accomplish any dreams. But what Jesus is saying is he's going to take the reins. And you've got to be willing for your life to go in his direction. It may not turn out the way you want. But I would say at this point, it'll certainly turn out better for you because he knows what's best for you and me. So Jesus says, this is, this is costly. And Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross, verse 27, and come after me cannot be his disciple. So you have to love God more than you love your very life. He's trying to say this. He brings up the cross. Bear your cross. That ought to show the extent to which you are willing to relinquish your desires. You're willing to put it all to death to follow him. It's be willing to give up even your life breath. As you look back through church history, we see this again and again and again as we see the martyrs, the people who gave up their days to follow Jesus, people who would translate the Bible or publish the Bible or give Bibles to people. They were slaughtered all throughout the history. There was a man named John Fox who compiled an account, the accounts of the Protestant suffering under the Roman Catholic Church. And that book has gone through many different volumes and editions. 
The latest that I've, ha- I've seen has been two volumes. Each of those volumes is 2,000 pages lo- long. The book listing the martyrs and their stories in church history is over four times longer than the Bible. It's just to show there were people who were li- willing to give up their life to follow Jesus. I'm saying that, realizing that today in America, probably none of us will ever be called to put our life on the line for Jesus. But we will be called to, to, to align with him and for people not to like that about us, for people not to accept us. So while we won't lose our life, it will probably make for some hard moments in life. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be willing to follow me, even, even despite what may come in your life. He's saying, count the cost. You realize what you're doing. You should love me far more than anything else. So your family can no longer be your priority. Your personal suits can no longer be your priority. And then thirdly, your possessions can no longer be your priority. Jesus said in verse 33 this, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So you have to be willing to part with all you have. It's not a commandment to sell everything, although God may want you to, to give up things, a lot of things. But you have to be willing to say goodbye to your stuff. You think we studied through Job. He was a man who was willing to let go of his stuff. God, God gave it. God took it away. And that was okay. But what we have to live with when it comes to our things, it's not so much that we have to sell everything to follow Jesus. And, and, and as was done in years gone by, that people would become impoverished for God's sake. But instead, we realize that we're simply stewards of what God has given us. We're not the owner of everything. You see, there's a, there's a big switch that happens. Uh, for those of you, especially heads of the household, you've been dealing with these kinds of things for years. You've been putting away money for the time when you retire. So perhaps you have a finance man that you talk to from year to year. And what you realize with him is you can call him and say, will you buy this stock? Will you sell this stock? Why can you do that? Because you're the owner. You're the person doing the investing. He's allowed to do things only as you authorize him. And so now we realize, following Jesus, we're not the one who who runs our life, who owns everything that we've been given. We're simply stewards of it. So what we do with what we have is all up to what he wants for us and from us. That's what the kind of mentality we must have. We must renounce control over our possessions. God gets the final say on those things. So coming to Jesus, following Jesus, will cost you your relationships, your possessions, and your pursuits. The question is, is Jesus that important to you? That's why Jesus stopped all the masses of people following him. The big crowds. And he says, do you realize what you're doing? Am I more important than all of these things? You know, what's sad is that many churches won't say what Jesus said. Instead, many churches today 
preach a gospel that says, you know Jesus is all about you. If you ask for Jesus' help, you'll make a million. You'll find all your goals. You'll achieve all that you can achieve. Jesus will help you to whatever you want. When Jesus said, you have to value me above everything, you have to be willing to give up everything in your life to follow me. Are you willing to do that? Of course, that's why so many people are confused about what it is to follow Christ. So Jesus didn't want there to be confusion, and I don't want to be there confusion today among any of us. Do you know what you're doing sitting here following the Lord? You're choosing to put him first and let everything else go if that's what the Lord calls for. Count the cost, what it costs your relationships, your possession, your pursuits. He is more valuable, so follow him. Secondly, this morning then, in verses 28 through 32, we see that you have to consider whether you're fully committed to being his disciple. He's told you the cost, now are you going to be committed? He's going to call you to make a decision. He turned around, looked at all the people, say, let's have some decisions, okay? I've told you what it costs, now what are you going to do? So you truly want to be Jesus' disciple on a daily basis? He addressed the issue by bringing up a farmer and talking about how they build. Look at verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. So he talks about a farmer. He's going to build a building, perhaps a security post or some storage building. But the point here is, when you build something, you don't just run to Lowe's and throw stuff in your cart. You stop, you get a piece of paper and pencil, and you start planning. That's how you accomplish something. Because the point of a project is not simply to get something going and something on the wall, but to finish it. When you don't finish something, there's failure. There's shame. Of course, in, the North, in this Eastern culture, this kind of thing, shame and honor were key components of their culture. You didn't want to do something that would bring shame and mockery. Of course, this is, this is the kind of thing that we can quickly understand because we get our men often, we get ourselves into some project, and it's more than we thought it would be. And uh, perhaps it's done, perhaps it's not done, and then our, our wife reminds us, honey, remember that? Remember how you said it would take a week? And now it's three months later. And, and it becomes this proverbial jest, right? Not getting things done can bring shame like that. So what Jesus is trying to say, I want you to know what it's going to cost you to follow me. Now I want you to look before you leap. Don't be half-hearted about what you're doing. Realize, one has said that the path to glory is littered with half-built towers. Many, many, many people thought that they would follow Jesus in their life, only to fall away from him when times get tough. People think that Christianity is just an easy thing. It would be great. It will make everything in life rosy. And then the half-hearted turn away when the going gets tough. 
And we don't do well to present Christianity as something easy. And perhaps that's what has made things so hard. To just say, it's, it's really a simple prayer. Say these words and you're good with God. When Jesus is calling people to love him most in all their life. So Jesus says, do you really want this? Do you really want this? And there's one more question. Do you realize what will happen if you don't follow Jesus? That's how Jesus also speaks to those who are following him. He says in verse 31, What king, going out to encounter another king in war, does not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet the one who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, will the other... While he is yet far off, he sends a delegation, and he asks for terms for peace. You see, Jesus tells a story of a king who's under attack, and he realizes he's outnumbered. He has no control over the person coming against him. So he has to make a decision right now if he's going to live. And Jesus is saying that to his followers. Make a decision now because there will be a decision one day. All of you will face judgment one day. So what you decide today, whether or not you're going to follow me, is something you can't just put off forever. Are you going to follow me or not? Are you going to count the cost or not? But if you do nothing, you will die. The wages of sin is death. Either accept my invitation, or you'll be judged. You'll be attacked. You say, why would Jesus say all this? He doesn't want anyone to be confused. Perhaps one of the worst things among the followers of Jesus, the people who know the Lord, is that they go through the motions. It's exciting to follow the Lord, but they don't know why they're doing it. They're just floating down the stream, not really thinking of where they're going and what it will cost. So Jesus makes it plain you say, you've preached a message like that. You know, who's going who's gonna to join the church? Who's going to be a part of Christianity? Right? It's like you're shutting the front door. Well, that's what Jesus did here. Look at verse 66. Actually, you've got to turn to John. This is parallel context. John chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus has spoken plainly to his followers You say, how did the people respond to Jesus' words? He had all these people following him. It says this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You might say, Jesus used a poor tactic. I mean, he just greatly reduced all the people following him. No, he was weeding out the people who were following him. Because some didn't realize what it would take. And either it was now, mercifully they'd see it, or later on they'd find a hard part and then they would just turn away from the path. But there is hope. Look at verse 67 through 69, John 6. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Okay, a whole lot of people have left. Now what about you? Simon Peter answered, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. That has to be your commitment today. You know who the Lord is. 
You know he's the only way. And there is nowhere else to go. He is it. And you're committed to it. Come thick or thin. So as Jesus took a moment in his ministry just to pause and sort things out with the people following him who profess to be his followers, it just does us good to remind ourselves, what are we doing? Let's pause. Are we committed to this? And by God's grace, we will answer as the twelve answered, that there is no one else but the Lord. And I hope that's where your heart really resonates. And if you don't understand that, if you don't know what it is to be willing to give up everything for Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. Father, we ask that you would encourage us to count the cost. When we buy something, we count costs. And if, we've, if we think that it's important enough, we're willing to pay more. And so, Lord, you tell us in your grace and mercy how valuable you are above all other things in life and that we need to be willing to pay everything to follow you, give up anything to follow you. And, Lord, that's helpful because it helps us to realize the things in life that really matter. It's you. And that the thing that would really satisfy us in life is you. So, Lord, challenge hearts today who are satisfied with far too little today, whose dreams matter far too much, whose relations matter far too much, when you don't matter enough. Change their hearts, Lord, so that they love you. And Lord, for the people who look at you and think, yes, I followed you. Yes, I've counted the cost. And all that I've been through is, all that I've been through is, I'd go through it again, knowing that I have the Lord, knowing that I'll one day be with him in glory. Lord, give your people that kind of resolve in their hearts, that there is nothing else besides you, nothing else in life that matters but you. And Lord, we ask for that faith in Jesus' name. Amen.